Gracious Father, we come on this first Sunday of Advent as we just sang with, with grateful hearts because you have brought our Savior, Redeemer, King. Come among us, I pray now, in a fresh way today. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us in such a way that we would see you in your glory and majesty, that we would allow your Spirit to so convict us, shake us, stir us, remake us more into the image of our Savior. Thank you for your presence here. Pray that your Word would be life-giving to us as we continue to worship you. And so we make our prayer, come Holy Spirit, come fill us afresh, come speak, Come strengthen. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, and as I prayed just a moment ago, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and the word Advent means coming. And, you know, we've been spending a lot of time this fall in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, and, and what we find, you know, frankly, Genesis all the way through the Old Testament is there is a growing longing a growing anticipation that the Savior, the Redeemer King would come. And so they lived in this time of of longing for His coming. That's what Advent means, coming. Well, we're on the other side of that, aren't we? We live on the other side of the cross. And so when we enter into this season of Advent, we also come with an anticipation. We come with an anticipation and a longing that Christ is coming back. He has come, amen, and He's going to return and make all things new. But I also want you to see this part of of how to, I would say, maybe make the most of this season of Advent. It's recognizing this. It's coming with a daily expectation, an anticipation of how Christ wants to come in fresh ways in your life every day. You see, we can come and wake up every morning with an anticipation. Jesus, you are alive here. Come show me what you're doing. Come fill me afresh. Because I believe daily what he longs to do in our lives are these things. He longs to bring light in those dark places. So come with an anticipation that he will bring light in those dark places. That his presence would actually bring hope that things that are difficult where you live right now can actually be different. That's the hope of anticipating Christ's work among us every single day. That He would come daily and break the chains that seem to bind us. And y'all, some of us carry a lot of chains around. But we come in Advent with with an anticipation that Christ is going to do a work setting us free in greater and greater ways that through His daily coming, that we would experience us coming more alive, experiencing more of this new humanity that Jesus came to bring when He brought the kingdom of God on this earth. So that's a setup of of how to lean into this season of Advent. Come with an anticipation, not just for Christ's return. We need to long for that, but an anticipation of what He wants to do in your life every single day. Well, as I step back to think about what what would be the theme, Lord, of this season of Advent for us at St. Andrews, and two words came to mind pretty quickly. Hope restored. 
hope restored. Where do you long to see hope restored in your life right now? Where do you long to see hope restored in your family's life? It's been a crazy year. And one of the things I love about Advent is this is actually the the first day of our new year as, as Christians as we follow the Christian calendar. Advent leads us into a new season. And I love it because we don't have to wait till January 1st to go, okay, now we've got a new beginning. But the Lord brings a new beginning for us today. It is a new season. And I think from this year, we need to lean into the reality that Jesus came to bring hope restored to us, even right now, right here today. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we're going to unpack Psalm 80 that we read responsibly just a few minutes ago and look at two themes that I think uh, shine out of this psalm. First, we see the cry for help. The cry for help. And the second point we're going to look at is the promise of restoration. The cry for help and the promise of restoration. So what we find in the body of this psalm is the imagery of a vine. This vine representing the people of Israel. Now, listen to these words again. This is verses, eight, verses 9 through 11. The psalmist wrote, you brought, out a vine, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Now, that's a beautiful picture of this, this people of Israel. Remember, God brought them out of Egypt. We've been looking at that. And he's bring, here, by this time, he's brought them into a new land. They've come into the promised land, and they've occupied the land. And being in the land, they began to take deep root. Now, you remember the calling of these people. The calling of the people of Israel, of God's people, was first to bring glory and honor to God, that their lives would look like his, would reflect who he is. But secondly, that they would be a light to the people around them that their lives would be such a testimony to God, the one true God, that nations would come and surrender and bow a knee to God. Well, as they were in that land and they took root, all of a sudden things began to happen. (laughs) No longer did they give their worship to God alone. They began to give their worship to the gods of the land again. Like they had done, we know their history over and over again. And what we find in this psalm It's really a psalm of destruction, isn't it? This vine that was to to flourish in the land, all of a sudden it's become broken down. The walls destroyed, beasts come and eat at the vine, and and it's lifeless. What happened? How did they come to be that way? What happened to this incredible vine that was to be a, a blessing to the people around? I'll tell you what happened. They began to adopt the idolatrous practices of the people. They began to love what the people of the land loved instead of giving their love and worship to God and God alone. They found themselves, and I put it this way, um, they found the pleasures of the world much more enticing than what God had to offer. And God came to them over and over and over, a call to repentance. And at times they would, you know the story, but then they'd go right back to it. 
And God, who's a God who forgives, whose mercy is great, the people would continue to turn and turn again from God. And so what happened is he said, in a sense, fine, this is what you want, I'll let you have it. And their defenses were taken away. They found themselves overcome by invading nations and they were sent into exile. That's where we find this psalm. The Israelites had become almost nothing. And now they cry out to God. And I love this. In in three places uh, in this psalm, in verse 3, we read, Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Then in verse 7 again, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And then again in verse 19, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You know, it's interesting that they cried out to the God that they had forsaken. But they came to realize there was nobody else to cry out to. There was nobody else who could do something about the plight that we find ourselves in. But it's interesting, this this word um, where, where they cried out, restore us. That word can also be translated, turn us again. Turn us again. In their cry, what we're seeing is this. They are recognizing their sin. And they're recognizing that they can't, they've gotten themselves in a place that they cannot get out of. And they cry out to God and they say, turn us again. One of the things we see them recognizing is this. While their external circumstances were pretty horrendous, they had been taken into exile, what they realized is the greatest need wasn't that their circumstances changed. Their greatest need was that their heart changed. You see, they saw the problem not out there, but in here. And they cried out to God, turn us again. We need you to do something that we cannot do. This is where we see this cry for help. I don't know about you, but but I've noticed this lately in my own life is, My cries for help lately have been, God, change my circumstances. 2020 has been a crazy year, to say the least. And I think more people have been crying out to God, even those who don't believe in God, crying out to God that there's somebody there, you know? And so often, honestly, for me, it's change this situation, change this circumstance. But what I realize is this. Those circumstances might change, they might not change. But what can change is my heart. And friends, that's what God is getting at. It's what he's getting at in the psalm. It's what he's always getting at, our hearts. Yes, our circumstances matter. But God does a much deeper work in our hearts. You see, stress, pressure, difficult times, they have a way of exposing what's in our hearts, don't they? I'm sure you've seen things in your heart exposed that you really haven't liked over this past year. They have a way of exposing broken places in our lives. So let me ask you this question. Where do you long to see restoration? Where do you long to see restoration today? Is it in a broken relationship that you have with someone? Is it a conflict that you have with a friend? that you long to see be restored? Is it a distance in your marriage 
You know it's not the way you want it to be. You long for it to be better. You don't know what to do. You cry out to God, come restore. Maybe it's family. Some of us were with family over Thanksgiving. Others were not. But I still recognize this. Every family has dynamics. (laughs) And they're not always pretty. Maybe your cry is, God, restore our family. Maybe some of your cries are, restore the painful hurt of my past. God, would you bring renewal from what I've experienced in the past? You see, we all cry out, don't we? So here's the thing we need to see. We cry out because we know we have a need. We know that we need, we may not say the word restoration, but we know that we're broken and we need to be restored. We need to be restored. Do you know why? Because sin destroys. Sin destroys. Sin destroys our relationship with God. It fractures it. It destroys our relationship with one another. It destroys our own lives. Now listen, if we're going to be honest in our cry for help, that it's not just God change my circumstances, but God come do a work in my heart, then I think there's some questions that we need to ask in our cry of help. Come God, restore us. Let me give you five questions to think about that that are going to take you deeper than just the generic plea, restore. The first question is this to think about. Is there unrepentant sin in your life that's causing a fractured relationship with God? Is there something in your life that's unrepentant, but you see it caused a fractured relationship with God? Lean into it. Don't run from it. God is wanting to restore and renew. Second question, where have you adopted practices of the culture at the expense of your relationship with God? Where have you adopted practices of the culture around us at the expense of your relationship with God? You know, we look a whole lot like the world around us, but we are to look like our God We are to be a people holy and set apart, not these perfect um, uh, people putting on a great facade so that everyone around us thinks we're good. No, it's it's what I called humble boldness, that we would walk in humility looking like Christ. Then, friends, we become attractive to the people around us. But where have you adopted ways of the culture that you've taken on at the expense of your relationship with God? Here's the third question. Are there things that you're doing that are contributing to a fractured friendship? Are there things that you are doing that have contributed to a broken relationship? Ask God to take you down that road. Open your eyes to see. Here's the fourth question. Are you living out of guilt and shame because you've chosen not to receive the forgiveness that is yours in Christ? Friends, I think there are too many people, Christians, followers of Jesus, walking around today you know, with, these, with these chains on of guilt and shame that we just can't shed. No, what Jesus is calling us to is lean into what is already, already ours in Christ. Lean into the fact that you are forgiven. And the last question is this. Are you living out of the lies of the enemy instead of the truth of who God says you are? Are you living out of the lies of the enemy instead of the truth of who God says you are? 
Take those. Get with the Lord. Make your cry restore me. Take me. Release me so that I can be freed. You know, I mentioned a minute ago we all cry for help. But the question we've got to look at is who are you crying out to? What are you crying out to? Who are you looking to to um, take the pressure off, take the edge off, make it easier? What the Israelites show us in this psalm is they cried out to the one true God. They knew that nothing around them was going to pay off. They tried it all. Guess what? I've tried a lot of things too. <laughs> and I look at y'all, you have too. They don't pay off. But the Israelites say, no, we're crying out to the one true God. And I love it at the beginning of the psalm. The psalmist says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. They came to the place as they cried out to God. They knew that God had not closed his ears off to them. Friends, I want you to know this morning, he's not closed his ears off to you either. It doesn't matter what you've done, what road you've gone down. His ears are not closed off. His ears are open and he wants you to cry out. Because when you do, then you will begin to experience His restorative grace. And friends, that's the hope. When we cry out to God, He's not distant and silent. He is right there and He listens. You see, this is where we begin to see the promise of restoration. God hears our cries and He brings the promise of restoration. Look at uh, Psalm 80, verses 17 through 19. Here's what we read. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I love that last statement that the psalmist made. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Do you know where that comes from? Aaron's blessing in numbers. They knew that. Listen to these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His face upon you and give you peace. They knew that if the Lord's face shined upon them, that's all they needed. Because they were living under the delight of God. And so in their cry, we see this hope, this promise of restoration. I love this phrase, this, this passage, because... Their hope was that God would turn, as he says, this son of man, Israel, back and make them strong again. So what they were saying, something far greater than that they could have ever imagined. You see, do you know who the son of man really is? It's a foreshadowing of the ultimate son of man, the vine, a new vine, that would take shape, that would become rooted, that would be the ultimate hope of restoration for the people of God, friends, for you and me. Do you see how beautiful this is? We see this vine imagery that has fallen apart and it's just become, it's, it's become destroyed. And the promise that we find is that God would send a new son of man, his son, to be the vine for you and me. Many of you know this passage in John 15, verse 5. Jesus said these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. 
What I love about this psalm, what I love about what Jesus said is this. The Israelites were the unfaithful vine. You and I are the unfaithful vine. But God in his mercy sent a true vine, the ultimate vine, who would do what you and I could not do so that we could be restored and have life. That when you and I cry out for restoration, when we make our cry, God, come restore hope in my life. Come make changes in my life. We are calling out to the vine, to Jesus, the one who came to give his life so that we could live with the truth and reality that hope truly can be restored. You see, Jesus says that he is the true vine. He says, abide in me. Friends, that's the call. That's the invitation this Advent season. Come and abide in the vine, the gift. As we do, friends, we find hope restored. We begin to see broken places. The Lord is beginning to renew. And we've got to be patient, don't we? Sometimes the Lord brings instantaneous relief, restoration. But most of the time, it is a progression over our lifetime. But I want you to know that this vine is with us. As we are connected to this vine, what he's doing is he is bringing healing, grace, new hope, new mercies to you and me every single day. What I want you to see is this. The hope of restoration doesn't come from us trying to patch our lives back together. We've got to lean into the vine. Lean into the one who gave his life so that you and I could have life. So I want to end with this passage, another Old Testament reading. One of my favorite ones, book of Joel, Joel chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Listen to the promise that this vine brings to you and me. I will restore the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, uh, and my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord our, your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. My people will never again be put to shame because God brought the vine that as we abide in the vine, we find life, we find hope, we find peace. That whatever is ahead of you this week, the vine is with you. The Lord is your strength. He is your hope and your help. Lean into him and find your life in him. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I, I thank you for this, this passage, this psalm. I thank you for this word from Joel. Jesus, I thank you for your own words. That you are the vine who came to bring us life. Would you restore our hope in this season of Advent? Would you restore our courage? Would you restore broken homes? Would you restore broken relationships? Would you restore peace to this country? Lord, give us boldness in our prayers. To know that you are the restorer of all things. And Father, I pray for those even here right now who are battling illness. I pray for restoration. 
I pray for peace. Father, I pray for many of our friends here who know him, Lawson Heather. Lord, we pray for him for healing as he's in the hospital after an awful car wreck. Lord, would you bring healing to him? Bring your presence to Aaron and Kristen and their kids. You are the restorer and you are with us. Lead us as we go through this journey, this Advent, that we would truly be your light shining in this community, bringing your hope and peace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand.